Hello, and welcome to the Atonicast. I'm Kirsten Korosek, and I am joined, as always, by my lovely co-hosts, Ed Niedermeyer and Alex Roy. Hi, guys. Hey. Hello, my friends. This week, I am joined by the CEO and co-founder of Fortelix, Ziv Binyamini. Is that correct? Binyamini, yes. Binyamini. Okay, so let me, <laughs> sorry, I need to try that. It one does sound time. great when spoken in a beautiful Israeli accent, doesn't it? It, it does. It I does, know, maybe yeah. we should leave this so that you can all hear that I can't pronounce someone's last name. Yeah, I think that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> great. Well, I'm starting off um, swimmingly here in the beginning. I'm sure it'll improve uh, for our listeners throughout the episode, but Ziv, thanks so much for joining us on the Atonicast. And we're really excited to be talking about um, Fortelix, but specifically about safety. And that's sort of what your focus is, correct? So can you clue us all in as to what Fortelix does and, and sort of how the company came to be? Yeah, so may, maybe I'll start from where we come from. Um, so we are, you know, I started my career 30 years ago at Intel. We all come from the chip industry, the semiconductor industry. Twenty some years ago, there was a crisis in chips. They, are, they became so complex because of Moore's law that it was impossible to find uh, all of the bugs. And the bugs got into silicon, and you know what happens with silicon if you have bugs. Uh, you have to throw it away. You can't. It's not like software. You can't fix uh, a chip. So you have to throw it and re-spin, do it again, and it costs tens of millions of dollars. So we brought a whole domain of automated verification to the chip industry. We were the pioneers of the coverage-driven verification approach. We did a startup called Vericity, and that uh, today everybody in the chip industry is using these, these methods. When we look at the autonomous vehicle industry, we see an industry that which have a huge complexity, right? It's probably, I would say, the most complex device that uh, humans so far have tried to create with the number of chips and a million, tens of millions of lines of software code and machine learning everywhere and uh, an environment that is incredibly complex. And the cost of failure is huge, right? I mean, we're talking about a heavy thing that dives on the road and if it does the wrong thing it can kill people um so the cost of failure of of not finding all of the issues is huge and that's we thought that our approaches that are well adopted in the chip industry could be adopted here and that's what we are doing we are taking these concepts and and applying them here the focus of the industry of the autonomous vehicle industry at least from the outside what we hear from, you know, the leaders is the number of miles driven, 10 million miles and, you know, 10 billion miles driven virtually and uh, the number of disengagements. And we know that these metrics are simply not the right metrics. They are not, um, you can't use this metric to know when you're done, right? Yeah. When will Waymo be able to go to the road? Is it 11 million miles or 100 million miles? It, it's funny because there, you know, we've all been to uh, many conferences on autonomous vehicles, and there's always, if not a whole panel on this topic, you know, there's always at least, you know, part of a discussion about this, and 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 everyone always gets asked, you know, how safe is safe enough, and 
it's fascinating to me. Like, like, yeah, the, the closest we ever get to an answer to that is, is, um, you know, as you say, sort of just, well, we'll just rack up enough miles and, and at some point, you know, that that'll, that'll just be safe. But, um, how do you actually, I mean, cause and, and you're setting out to actually right quantify this. Correct. How are you even beginning to, to think about doing that? Like at a very high level. Right. So our approach, and again, this is, it may sound completely new, but if you come from, if you've been working in the past decade or more on the chip side at any of the large or even not so large companies that are making chips, you've been using it probably as if you're part of the design, it's called coverage-driven verification. Uh, the concept is this, you, instead of focusing on the number of miles or you know how how much you've driven without knowing what you've actually what you've seen, right? Imagine that I put a car um, on highway, you know, back to back, east to coast, just back and forth. I'll collect a lot of miles, but how much? What actually happened? Yeah. Was there a pedestrian crossing? Well, probably not. It's a highway. Was there rain? Was there you know? Did somebody cut in or cut me in or not during this drive? I have no idea. What you want is to actually be able to define all of the risk dimensions, like the things I mentioned, like multi-lane maneuvers, like weather, like you know, lighting, like pedestrians, and then go down, you know, in a very disciplined way, define the different uh, scenarios, use a formal uh, machine-readable way to define those scenarios using a language. So we have a scenario description language that allow you to define those scenarios and then be able to both generate from the, these descriptions many different variants of the scenarios and collect objectively, collect information of what actually happened, okay? So if you have our monitors when you're driving, the monitors will sit there and say, hey, this scenario just happened. And the speed was that, and the weather was that, and the angle was that, and the distance was that. So we will know that we covered or exercised this specific scenario with these specific parameters. And then we can take all of this information for many, many drives. When I say drives, this can be a test that is on a physical car in a test track or on the roads or in simulation. We collect all of this and we aggregate it so then you can see how much you've actually covered, what you've done so far, and what else needs to be done, and when you're done. So are you are you generating these scenarios, or are you just providing, you mentioned sort of a language for scenarios, are you just providing the tools so that uh, presumably your clients can, can use this system to generate their own scenarios and then and then test their progress on them. Right. So, so from the language, we do, uh, first of all, we provide a language so the customers can define whatever they want. We also provide libraries of scenarios so that they can use the libraries. We already uh, specialize in some area and we know what the scenarios are. So customers can decide to use the library of scenarios from us or they can use the language to define their own. Let me give you an example. You know, cut-in is a very interesting scenario that people are, are interested in. So in the cut-in you know, a car is coming from behind, taking over the autonomous vehicle, the ego, and then cutting in to the same lane of the ego in front of it. And then it slows down and the ego needs to avoid 
accident by slowing down itself or by changing lane, doing something. Uh, this is one high-level scenario, but it has many parameters, the speed of the ego and the relative speed with the overtaking car and the distance at which point it changed lane and the weather and the uh, side where, from which it came. Did it come from the left or right? Many, many parameters. So in our language, you can define this scenario once and the parameters, you just lay out the parameters. And then from this one scenario, there are you know thousands of different important variants that you need to cover, that you need to exercise. So we do two things. We generate the scenarios on testing platforms where you have control, like simulation or test rate. And independently, we also measure. We collect information of what actually happened. One more note... We're talking about autonomous car. Even if you intended the scenario, the test to do a certain thing, it's autonomous as its name. <laughs> you don't know what it will do. And if you want to test it, you don't want to tell it. You, you can't force it to do specific things. You want to let it do what it thinks is the right pro, uh, reaction, response. And it may not do what you expect. So in order to know what actually happened in a test, you have to monitor it and look what actually happened and record it. And that's one of the that second part that we are providing, which is the, the monitoring. So but you're not actually coming up with metrics that define what safety is. You're just hoping to create a common platform with common scenarios that would enable companies to decide for themselves what, what safe or safe is, what is safe enough. So there, there are, you're right, we are providing the platform that enables an accurate measurement and definition and measurement of what you've actually exercised and therefore you know what you are. Now this can be done, uh, this can be used in multi, many different ways, this kind, of, this kind of platform. It can be used internally by a company to define its own safety metrics uh, and, and then report it internally and also report it outside if they want. It can be used by a company and uh, on their platform or their, let's say, their hardware platform or their service platform, they want to use multiple different autonomous vehicle stacks and they want an objective, quantifiable way to measure the quality, the safety of these, um, of these alternative AV stacks. So this is a common thing that they can use to measure the safety and the completeness of the testing of all of these different alternatives. And it can be used in some way or form by regulators, right? Somebody could use this platform to define, here, are, here is the verification plan, here are all the scenarios you have to prove that you, are, uh, that you have tested and you passed all of them safely. Why not do more than just provide the platform? Why not provide, um, you know, some parameters so that because the the one issue I see is that companies might know where they sit, but how does that relate to being, you know, safe enough? Right? They just know where they sit. They don't know if it's safe enough. So uh, we think that the the job of defining the what is safe enough is the job of, you know, common, the industry together and not, we are not, uh, with all due respect to ourselves, 
We are not the final expert that will determine what all need to be tested to prove that you're safe enough. But we think that having, I mean, the problem with the industry is not the, to go and make the actual definition. The problem is there's not even a platform or a language to talk about it, right? So we talk about miles, which is not very meaningful, right? Because that's the only thing everybody understands. If we move to use the quality of coverage as the metric, this is extremely transparent. Let me put it this way. If a company now reports on their, what they've done and they share their verification plan, here is what we've done. Here are all of the things and we covered all of these scenarios for the operation design domains we are targeting. We think we are safe. You, you will be now able to look and say, ah, okay, they've really tested, they looked at this, they looked at pedestrian, they looked at obje objects on the road. So I know what they've actually exercised, right? It's a transparent uh, platform. Anyone can, if you decide to share it, anyone can look at it, which I'm not sharing people will agree to share, but <laughs> it opens the door for this kind of discussion. Yeah. Is safety, right, so like succeeding in, in a scenario, so a given scenario, whether let's take cut-in, for example, um, you know, to be safe, right, the, the standard for safety is, you know, don't crash or don't cause a crash. But in reality, you know, safety isn't a, a binary necessarily. It's not you're safe or you're not safe. There's there's a range. And so I'm wondering how how do you measure sort of that, that range of safety? Or is it just a binary? Are you, are you measuring it? purely by, you know, there was a crash, there wasn't a crash? Or, or is there sort of, um, yeah, like I said, a sort of range of safety yeah. that can that can sort of, yeah, give a little bit more nuance to, to how safely the vehicle seems to be behaving in that scenario? So you're absolutely right. It is not a black and white. I would just say that the metrics that you measure, whether an autonomous vehicle is behaving properly and you can actually make it into a product, is not just safety, right? There's comfort if uh, if the car hit the brake heavily every time it considered potential risk, uh, it may be very safe, but um, nobody will use it. Or if the car chooses whenever it sees pedestrian anywhere in its vicinity to drive five miles per hour, um, that will make it safe. But it will take you an hour to get from point A to point B, which should take five minutes. Again, nobody will use it. So. There are other metrics that must be measured, and in in the end, safety is a trade-off between, you know, taking it to extreme and make it not useful, to making it still making it safe, uh, useful but making it safe. When we measure safety about your what the actual criteria, I, you know, um, one of the things that uh, you're probably familiar with is RSS, right? RSS defines some of the rules of what is safe enough, you know, what is your, how close can you get to the car ahead of you, given its speed and its whatever parameters. And this is the, sorry, just to interrupt really quick, this is the Mobileye uh, uh, proposal for, for safety, right? Correct. So, you know, this approach, and there are, there are several alternatives. I think they, are, they have a very robust uh, proposal which is being developed they also uh, published uh, open source checkers that implement those rules or some of those so this is uh, you know this kind of thing so having 
uh, a runtime check that will collect information and tell you whether you are safe or not is uh, is uh, doable and yes it is a black it's not a black and white somebody have to decide at what point what are the parameters by the way even even uh, RSS does not define the actually defines the rule or the formulas but not what is the actual parameter value so even they they have very specific rules but they don't define when is the when does it turn from white to black or from yeah. unsafe to safe maybe and and maybe just to to ask the same question in a slightly different way um if it, you know so for that given scenario let's say the cut in scenario um could you know Waymo and Uber just to pick two random examples um provide you with sort of, you know, their simulate, you know, the, the simulation of their system, um, you could run them both through the test. And and then could you tell me, you know, which of those two uh, is safer? Could you have a, a sort of score um, that would show the relative safety of those two? Or, or you know, is, is that how this works? I'm sorry, I'm just trying to understand. Yeah, so so first, first they're not going to provide us; they're going to do it themselves. But if they, sure. uh, let's imagine this kind of uh, comparative. There are two things yeah. we will provide. First of all, they provide us. So I want to remind you that cut in. We dis- we talk about it as if it's a single, right? We describe it once, because mm. in an abstract way. But in order to be confident. That the cut that the autonomous vehicle can deal with the cut in under all circumstances, you probably have to test tens of thousands of different variants of speed and weather and angle and side and whatnot. Okay, so the first thing we will be if they give us, they say we've tested cut in completely. Here is our test. We will be able to take those tests and measure did they actually cover all of the conditions. And we may get back to them and say, you know what, you're doing very well, but you never tested uh, cut-in at high speeds in the rain. Or you never tested, you almost don't have any test of cut-in happening from the right and not from the left. Things like this, okay? So that is coverage. We will be able to tell them what they have tested and what they have not tested. The other thing we will be able to provide is given the output of these different uh, checkers will be able to provide some grade of how well they are performing. I feel like Alex needs to jump in here because I cut him off earlier. I have a lot. Well, I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to gauge what I, what I, you know, what I can and can't say. Here's a question for you. So I go to a lot of conferences and interface with people at safety people at many self-driving car companies, and a common question they have is whether or not their data, their policies and practices will be protected because they they were concerned about it being seen by third and fourth parties. So how does that function uh, with deployment of Fortelex platform? So first of all, you know, our primary customer and, you know, we are engaged with OEMs. They are are going to use our platform and it's, and all of the data is internal to them. They are not, they don't need to share anything whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Right, it's all an internal within the enterprise. They run the test, they use it to measure where they are, and then uh, identify what else they need to test, where to apply their resources, 
uh, and then you reach the goals, their own internal goals. So they are not obliged to, and they, you know, using our system is completely within their own. They can protect the whole thing if they will um, choose to share some of the scenarios. They can do it. The language is going to be our the scenario description is going to be open, so anybody can use that uh, that description, and um, we're also participating in the standardization effort. Uh, and they can also decide to publish their coverage metric, the results, okay? A proof that they have tested a lot and they are doing more and they are more transparent. It's their choice. Do you see a scenario, though, where, let's say, every AV developer adopts Fortelix or something very similar to it and as a platform, and that regulators do come in and say, okay, this is what safe enough means. Um, suddenly, Alex's question, you know, right now the scenario is that you provide the platform and unless a company chooses to publish that data, they don't, they don't have to. Um, and, and you don't have, um, unless they're pulling you in for some assistance, you don't have insight into that data either. But do you foresee uh, in the future that your platform or something similar to that is used in a way and companies are forced to share that data to show, let's say with a regulatory body, for example, that it is safe enough? I mean, do you see the industry shifting that way? Or do you think it's going to be voluntary as it is now? So um, I, I see a path to a way that the industry will agree to a metric that is um, that is a common platform that is not ours, that's a general standard-based uh, platform, where the regulator will come in and say, this is the minimal stuff. This is safe enough for us. You have to prove, you know, with a human driver, you take him for a 30-minute drive. With an autonomous vehicle, uh, you need to do a much more, much more thorough. Uh, and here are the, you know, Million of cases you have to prove. By the way, we want you know a million cases in simulation. Prove us that you covered all of them and passed them properly. And we also want these thousand cases on a physical car also because simulation and and physical are not exactly the same. Simulation you have massive capacity and you can do a lot of uh, stress situation, but you also want physical test as well. So prove to us that you did this and you did that. One advantage of this metric, it is it completely independent of the implementation, right? One company, it's completely performance-based. It's not, uh, it doesn't require you to use LiDAR or to use this form of, uh, of uh, implementation. It doesn't matter whether you're using machine learning or control-based algorithm. We are looking at it completely from outside. We are introducing challenges to the autonomous vehicle, and we're measuring the performance, how well it behaves. So NHTSA just uh, came out recently and said they are going to come out, or they, they haven't declared exactly what they're going to do, that they're doing some, uh, they, they want to define some standards, at least of testing and simulation. Like, what are you... Do you seek to supplant that? Are you working with them already? I mean, what's your position? We are talking with many people. I cannot uh, 
We're talking with many people and we're trying to... Here you can, come on. <laughs> um, we are trying to provide, uh, bring up this, uh, this approach. Uh, I, can see that, I can say that there's a lot of interest. Um, I think, you know, again, coming from, people who come from the chip industry, and luckily there are some people from the chip industry in the autonomous vehicle domain, are much more comfortable with these concepts of coverage metrics. The rest, you know, this is new. It took us a decade to educate the chip industry to get used to use this. So it takes some education. It's a different concept of, of these objective metrics that are not just laying out the test itself. Look, there are a lot, you know, I mentioned RSS. There is what NHTSA is doing. There is SOTIF. There is uh, Phil Koopman and UL uh, forgot the number of that standard. Yeah. So there are a lot of good uh, efforts that are going on in the industry. We are, in a way, complementing it. And the key thing that we are providing is a platform that enables you to measure with a massive quantity of, of scenarios that need to be tested. In the old automotive uh, space, you know, if you look at, you know, there's like you have to pass 50 tests, 50 specific tests, or now it goes to 100 or 200. And that's okay. You can just, if you, if the regulation body want to, uh, require you to pass a few hundred tests, it can list them one by one. Each individual test is specified very accurately, and that's fine. But the complexity of autonomous vehicle and the environment requires us to test millions of different scenario variants. And that you cannot do by just enumerating the tests one by one. Right, because and then you get the, the teaching to the test problem. Um, I... <sighs> So uh, what is it, about a year ago, I think, um, Waymo sort of brought a bunch of, of journalists um, into their uh, – sort of explained how their, their simulation-based validation works. Um, and sort of the just very high-level way that they described it is, you know, we go out, we're driving, you know, in the real world. We come across a scenario that seems interesting or challenging to us. We pull that data um, off the car, put it into simulation. And then do what's called, you know, they fuzz it basically. They basically just generate a bunch of permutations of that scenario and see how the vehicle would perform in it um, in order to sort of validate the robustness of their system. Um, how is what Fortelexta different than that? Or is it the same thing and you're basically giving companies opportunity to have that capability that Waymo has uh, in, in their validation? Uh, how do you think about that? What, the difference, um, let's think about, uh, you know, when you are going to test a car, you're going to, um, in simulation, where you can do unsafe things, right? You can cause a lot of uh, near-accident situations. Uh, you know, a lot of your testing, you want to really stress the car in, in very close uh, encounters. But these things don't happen very frequently in real life. And even and when they have happen, they are very distinct. They are very specific. So uh, taking recordings and then manipulating them or fuzzing them, and basically uh, all your scenarios are from whatever you've been able to harvest from the real world is one good thing. It's great. But we are proposing a different complementary approach, which is to come up with what are the things that are needed and automatically generate them. We don't need a recording in order to generate a scenario. 
So you may have seen a few variants of cut-in, some dangerous, and you can fuzz a few of them. But if you measure the coverage of the result, you're probably going to still miss a lot because other things you haven't run into, but they can happen equally. So we are able, to, we with our system, you can synthetically generate many, many of the other variants that need to be tested. Yeah, I, th- I think that makes sense, yeah. And by the way, both, you know, Waymo, Tesla are using a different way, you know, of harvesting a lot of real real world driving. And that's something very important, but we don't think it's enough. And the other thing is once you fuzz and you manipulate those tests, which you can do, but only to an extent you can manipulate these tests, you still want to know what you've covered. You still need to measure what you've actually exercised and what you're still missing. And now are you going to wait until some car will run into a cut-in in the rain? Or you're going to synthetically create a cut-in in the rain in high speed and t- check all of the variations of this uh, scenario. Are there any companies that you know of that um, are doing essentially what you've created, that they, they figured out a way to do this, or, um, you know, and that you've come to them with you know, your platform and you realize that they're, they're actually able to do this already? Does that company exist right now in the AV industry? So overall, the whole platform, no. Uh, There are several companies actually that have... So the idea of having a scenario description language has already taken... uh, There are several of these. Uh, Some are public, some are not, but we we are aware of, of probably close to 10 that have some form of a scenario description language. Some more advanced, some more less, but uh, the idea of automatically generating tests, um, you mentioned, you know, Waymo is doing fuzzing, that's public. Uh, There are some others, it's very naive or very at the beginning uh, of this. There's um, some companies are a little more advanced, but very, very few. I'll give you a hint. Uh, those that are more advanced are probably coming from some background in the semiconductor chip industry because that, that domain of constraint random generation is very, very advanced in that in that uh, industry. It's used everywhere. And the last piece of measuring and collecting coverage, uh, there's, not, there's almost nothing. Nobody is actually measuring and collecting information of what they actually did that we are aware. Now, maybe people, you know, are listening and starting to do it. To the best of my knowledge, I haven't seen anything that's even close to that. So if we want to, well, you could just give us the names of the companies that, you know, you know, that would be easier than hinting. <laughs> but would a, if, if you, if you're not, if you can't do that, then would the breadcrumbs for people who want to know or have an idea of a company is sort of sort of doing this, is it to look at their background? And if they have a background with chip makers, then it's possible that maybe they're not completely doing exactly what you're doing, but um, as you described earlier, sort of elements of that. Yeah, I, I think, but so on the language, on the scenario description language, I, I'm sorry, I, you know, it's up to them to disclose if they are doing it or not. Uh, um, but there are several, and several of them that are 
traditional OEMs or, or, or uh, new tech companies that are doing... Uh, so that, that, that idea that you need a language to describe the scenario so you can generate synthetically all of these variants is already taking place. I can think about several companies, both in Europe and in the US, that have their own their own languages, their own attempts or initial attempts at defining a language. Yeah, I'm I'm really fascinated by this scenario lang- uh, uh, description language because, right, a lot of the what makes autonomous vehicles so hard is the almost infinite complexity of the situations that cars can find themselves in. Right? I mean, it's it's weather alone can create all kinds of crazy phenomena. Um, h- how do you go about developing that language, and like how complex does it need to be, like in order to describe everything that's that's you know reasonably needs to be tested? So um, the language is a the language is a just an object oriented domain specific language. So it has capabilities to describe. Uh, anything that relates to movement of vehicles, uh, so it has things like lanes and the objects are cars and pedestrians, and there are, it, it allows you to describe speed and it allows you to describe relationship, like this car is on the left of that car, etc. So um, it's unique, it's different than things we've done before, we've done other things like that, multiple uh, languages. So again, just maybe. In the chip industry, there are at least three standard languages that are being used at different uh, for different things. So it's very common. It's you know. so so common that Zoox filed a patent for one quite recently. Am I correct? So here, you know, one. <laughs> you're aware of one uh, scenario description language. All right, there. so Zoox. Yeah. And, and and how do these languages vary um, if there's different approaches, just sort of generally, you know, and, and what makes one better than another? Ah, that's a very, we are in the middle of this kind of discussion. You know, there's things like how readable it is, you know, we'll, because we want uh, engineers, software engineers, which to be able to write those scenarios, but also safety engineers, which have usually less of a, uh, software background. So these languages are mostly software, but, you know, so readability is key. The power of the language is very important. Can you describe any scenario or are you limited only to some scenarios that, that the language allow you to describe? So that's another aspect of the language. And there are many other criteria, you know, can you, for example, compose, can you take basic building blocks? Can you describe Basic scenario in the language, like the cut-in is one and another, you know, somebody intercepting you in a junction coming from the side. Uh, Can you describe those basic scenarios and then combine them or compose them into more complex scenario where both of these things are happening at the same time? So there are many criteria of, but, you know, so power and readability are kind of uh, big categories of... uh, of comparing these these languages, and then do you have the ability to do constraint random or fuzzing? Do you have the ability to measure? Does the language lend itself to also automatically create monitors? When I say that we monitor uh, scenarios to collect information of what actually happened, obviously I didn't mean human monitors. I meant automatically created software monitors, right? 
So you need to be able to derive automatically from the description of the language um, uh, the, these kind of uh, monitors. So I, I won't bore you. There's a long list of criteria, but these are the kind of considerations. I want to get back to, you know, it is seemingly, inf it is infinite, the space, the space of scenario. Um, and one of the things, I mean, what we are doing, one way to look at if it, it is taming infinity. And we are doing it by breaking it into sub, you know, breaking infinity into sub smaller spaces. Uh, each space is still infinite. The number of uh, kinds of weather is infinite. But then you can take weather, you can say, okay, but there's sunny and rain and whatever. And then within rain, you can break rain into the some you know some limited number finite number of the important phenomena of rain that is interesting and relevant similarly for speed there are infinite number of speeds you know from zero to 100 miles per hour it's uh but we can break it and say what is really interesting in speed is you know is it very slow, 0 to 5, 5 to 10, 10 to 20, etc. So you break it into a finite number of buckets of value. Um, some of the things, people come up with a unique thing. What happens if, uh, if somebody throws a ball into the street? You know, that everybody asks me this question. Well, it's one of the categories, you know, objects coming into the street, dynamic objects or, or static objects. Once you think about this, you think about, you know, the 10, 20, 50 such typical cases, and now you've tested so much more than just by saying, it's infinite, so I can't think about it, so I'm just going to pray. Okay? Yeah, so. Yeah. I, I was going to ask about the scenario. Um, one of my favorites is, is, which I think is similar to that, but like you're driving behind someone in a pickup truck who hasn't secured their load. And something falls out the back of the truck and and you know it, it's in your lane with not very much notice as a human driver like that's one of the scarier scenarios that you can see on the road personally and so like in something like that could you you know generate something where you know you can have objects uh, you know everywhere from the size of a tennis ball to the size of a a, a giant piece of plywood and then also like something made out of wood something made out of foam something made out of metal because right, your sensors are going to pick it up differently depending on, on, on the material it is. I mean, it's yeah, what you just did is exactly the the work that the safety or verification engineer will do. He will be assigned to general objects, and then objects. You know, one of the cases it's coming from from the street, or another it's coming from the car ahead of you, and he will break it down into exactly what you just did, exactly like that. And then in the object, so then when we will say we want to cover, we want to see that we tested with both the big objects and small objects and medium-sized objects. And when we generate tests, by the way, if you didn't say anything, we you just say, I want to see a truck and I want to see objects falling, we will randomize the kind of object. So every time, every scenario you run, it will be a different object with different size and different, you know, a foam or a metal or a wood. Uh, if if you created these objects or these uh, parameters for the objects, we will randomize the those values, um, and we'll mix it with many other things. So you'll end up testing a heavy object from a truck in the rain or in snow condition, 
and see that the car still behaves properly. Alex, you're so quiet. Uh, I'm thinking. I mean, it's a it's it's very interesting. You know, I have many of the same questions. You know, behind closed doors when I go to conferences that you know you guys are asking now. Uh, I'm curious. The end game for Fortelix would obviously be that everybody, everyone in the sector uses a common platform and that someone and one or more companies or consortia of companies um, define what safety is. Like sooner or later, it seems that someone has to say, this is what safety is. It's a number and it's not miles. Um, is it number of, is it number of scenarios specific to the domain of deployment? Because many companies are not going to deploy in the same domain or are we just going on faith? I mean, I'm thinking out loud here because we don't know what safety is for human operators. Like there's like it's it varies the country to country. So are you completely agnostic on how the platform is used? I mean, is it your wish to see a consortia of private companies define safety or to convince a regulatory body to do so? And then from the top down, have Fortelex become the standard? Well, uh, whether it's a consortia or uh, regulators, um, and probably will be slightly different, you know, for example, US and in Europe uh, have different styles of top down or, or more let the industry decide or define. What we are hoping is that the industry, and quite frankly, it maybe sound uh, cheesy, but. Uh, for, for the good of Fortelix, but also for the good of this industry and the ability to get to safe, we think that the fundamental re- things like you need the languages to describe scenarios and you need a platform, a common platform to define metrics, objective metrics that show what you've actually tested. We believe the industry needs that. Once the industry consolidate on something like this, and again, it can come from consortia or regulators, doesn't really matter. We hope to be a key provider of this, uh, one of the key providers of software tools that enable this platform. It will obviously have to be a standard. It can't be that one company own on this uh, capability, and we are completely fine with that. We're actually already very engaged with standard bodies to to open our language. We're not going to keep it, but um, that's kind of where, uh, where we're going. So you're a global company. You're doing business in the United States and in other countries. So as you, you must be um, speaking to regulators in those, com- uh, those countries. Do you, can you give us a sense of, which countries are have made the most progress in our in terms of developing a standard? I mean, you you have the inside view. So, what are you seeing? Is is there one company or one country that stands out? Weirdly, I think, and I'm not. You know, we are talking with a lot of people. You're right. Um, you know, first of all, I don't think anybody have anything close to a real safety standard. Nobody. I think, you know, Singapore, there's a lot, you know, they're they're progressing uh, fast. Um, I Between, you know, there's a lot of activity in the UK, a lot of activity in the US, but uh, in, in Germany, I think this, uh, 
this effort is now very active. Okay, so there's a lot of looking seriously, like looking around and trying to figure it out. But I don't think any of the regulators is is uh, is approaching almost there. That's my my read from the little. Or you know, again, we're talking with a lot, but there are, there are so many that it's. Uh, I'm not sure. We've talked with everybody, but I don't think anybody is close to saying. You know, we are, we already have a draft of. We know what, how it needs to look like, and we just need to finish the details and and close it. I think the regulators are still struggling with the approach of how how this needs to be done. And and as far as the the actual developer companies themselves, I mean, are are there companies out there because everyone talks about safety and how important it is to them, and they all put out these you know reports that you know say, you know say that it's the most important thing ever for them and blah blah blah. But like in in reality, I mean, you do hear whispers about some companies um, maybe you know sort of focusing on on. Uh, on, on feature development or capability development and sort of saying like, we'll figure out sort of the validation stuff later, or maybe this was earlier that they like, are there, are there serious AV developers who, who haven't developed their own sort of validation techniques that they're, that they're com you know, confident in, because it seems like, you know, th there must be because otherwise, right. Who, who are your customers? I think the industry, you know, in the last uh, five, seven years, the industry focused on the features, on just getting it right, getting something working, kind of the proof of concept uh, stage. And they succeeded. We have, you know, cars are driving, you know, there's so many different companies that have cars driving uh, on the streets and they are generally okay 99% of the time. And I think maybe they assume that you know, it will be the the last one percent will be another one percent or ten percent of the work. What they didn't realize is that it's a massive amount of work to take the last one percent. Because if you have a car that is okay ninety nine point nine percent of the time, but only once in you know thousand miles it have uh, an accident, obviously it's absolutely not good enough, right? Uh, and they didn't understand, I think, and appreciate the amount of work and the different kind of work that needs to happen when you move into this last percent and where you need to look at all of these edge, uh, you know, edge cases and corner cases and, and complete all of this. And I don't think they've developed, and again, this is from what I've observed, they did not develop the... Uh, discipline and the framework to be able to do that. And I, I strongly believe that without a language and without the ability to automatically generate many of these variants and without the ability to measure, you cannot get there. It's not like, um, you know, that this is one way to get there and other ways are equally good. You really have to have, you have to have an objective measurable safety platform. And, and that's, by the way, the, the, this is true for regulators. We believe that measurable, a measurable uh, aspect of the safety is a critical key, but it is also equally important to the development process itself. When you de develop a car and you need to test 100 million cases, 
you need a way to know what you've actually done and where to apply your resources, your testing resources, you know, the human people that are writing the, or directing the test and the, the resource, the compute resource and the, the physical resource. You need to know where to apply them so you're not repeating the same stuff you already tested before. Uh, and for that, you need this kind of transparency into where you actually are. And I, I'm not aware of any other system that allows you approach. You need a transparent system that will tell you how much of these 100 million things you've actually exercised. Uh, it, it's, yeah, it is strange to me. I mean, this seems like developing a system like this should almost be the precursor to even before you even start developing the system. Because again, I mean, you can you can say, you know, well, our car has done this on the road and so it can do that, right? It has that function. But, you know, your level of confidence in that is only as good as the number of times you've done it, right? I, I think it's a human and maybe it's the right the right way. When you have a new, completely new concept, the first thing you want to, sh- to make sure is that its concept can actually work. Um, I can tell you that the chip industry, uh, going back 20, 30 years ago, they used to make the chip quickly uh, create the silicon and then do testing, you know, on the si- silicon itself. And the silicon itself is the real thing, and it runs a million or even more faster than the model of the of the chip. And it took a decade or two to realize that that's an extremely difficult thing to do. You have to find the bugs up front very early in the design process, and not after you've committed to a real product. Uh, so I, I understand why the industry uh, started, first of all, with a proof-of-concept stage. Um, I think the promises, they come from a, all the promises the industry made about, you know, we'll have an autonomous vehicle level four by 2019 or 2020 was more, you know, the need, the competition and the need to raise money and whatnot, not based on real understanding of what it takes to get there. Um, but you know that's reality. I think people now realize that they need to, but people don't develop the verification uh, before they actually the, the the quality assurance side before they actually see that they actually know how to get the thing itself working. Um, and and in order to do the verification, the the really safe verification, you need a much much more investment um, to get there. Which I don't think they realized up front. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've, I've just been um, reading your uh, Fortalex's blog, which is really interesting, and there's a lot of discussion of, of some of these issues. Um, you, something that comes up a lot is, is uh, this idea of spec bugs. Can you talk about, about what spec bugs are and, and, and sort of how, how you approach those? If you have a bug in the spec itself, you, you know, it's, it's more in the unexpected bugs. You, you don't... You don't even think about it. You don't know that you need to test it. The unknown so, unknown, right? right. There's the, the, you have the known knowns, you have the unknown, or known unknowns, and then you have unknown unknowns. So you're talking about unknown unknowns. Yeah, I, I think I, I, am, I use a more simple, you know, there are the known areas of risk or bugs that you lay out, and a lot of the safety standards deal with how to lay them out and all of that. And um, and then there's the unknown, you know, all of these pieces of things that I don't even know I have a risk. I didn't realize that uh, when the car cuts me in from the right, 
some combination of the speed and the, there's actually a real issue there because I'm my system is uh, looking more to the left or whatever. So I didn't even think about it. So you need a system that will come up with these things. And that's, you know, that's where our system, which is a combination of a very disciplined you know, articulation of all of the scenarios and the different parameters, etc., but combining it with the ability to randomize and mix many different things so that we come up with a lot of things that you didn't even think about. And we didn't think about the system by combining and mixing and randomizing is running into all sorts of places that you didn't think about. Yeah. Um, it sounds a little bit like, I mean, is it Elon Musk sort of famously sort of poo-pooed simulation writ large because he said you can't generate you know the the edge cases essentially that that you need to be able to cover. I mean, you're basically your company is the founded on story. the idea that he's that he's wrong. Is that? <laughs> Are you the, well, um, I, I, I'm not trying to start a fight between you and uh, and Elon Musk. I don't recommend it from personal experience, but uh, <laughs> I'm, 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 it's, it's curious. Yeah, we are we are definitely founded on. So I, I do want to mention that we are working with both simulation and physical platforms. We will collect the information from all execution, all test platforms. But let it put it this way: in the in the chip industry, if you cannot think of all of those um, boundary conditions um, uh, in simu- uh, or and if you can't get to all of them in simulation, and you wait until you get silicon, we would not have chips today, okay? Because there are so many cases that the only way to figure out and to get into all of them is using this method. Okay, so that, you know, you will not find a single chip company that is not using simulation with a test bench that is based on a high-level language with constraint random that generates many, many different things, including things you didn't think about to get them back. So we strongly believe that there is a, a um, equivalent here to the autonomous vehicle uh, world, and we think the discipline of identifying the scenarios and, uh, um, and defining them allow you will allow you to come up with many of these things. By the way, uh, the verification plan where you articulate all of the different risk dimensions and you break it down, etc., is a live thing. You constantly watch if somebody runs into an accident, like for example, an obscure pedestrian crossing a multi-lane highway, uh, which is, you know, the Uber case, maybe we didn't think about the concept of obscure pedestrian. So here is a new one. We will now, when we describe a pedestrian, we'll add a type of obscure and we'll think about the different things that may cause a pedestrian to be obscure. Um, Holding many nylon bags, but many other reasons why it might be obscure. And we'll add it into the system. So from now on, we will test also against an obscure pedestrian, many different situations. So it's a live system. Um, I, you know, people keep coming up with all of these things that uh, examples, like your example, <laughs> uh, and they are all things that you know. Yes, they are part of a category. You know, they are not something that nobody ever thought about, and that we, there's no way to think about. So. Once you have a big database, you keep 
running also uh, cars on the street and you identify more things. Uh, you identify anomalies, things that are not covered by your verification plan. You bring them back and say, okay, we, we didn't think about this. Let's add it into this system. A systematic approach can address it, and we believe is actually the only way to, to address it. It cannot be without a systematic, systematic approach to articulate all of the conditions and, um, and then measure that you actually tested all of them. My friends, we're going to have to wrap this up. We're coming up on an hour. But I have a question for you. Uh, my, my, at least my last question is, th- is there a country or regular regulatory body anywhere in the world that has done a sufficiently comprehensive study on human driving behavior such that we have a comparative to what your platform would reveal about AV safety? Mm, uh. <laughs> Elon Musk says, you know, oh, we're twice as safe as humans. Or, you know, twice as safe. It, the, we don't. The average in the United States may not is not the average in other places. Um, so, it, wh- who has done the best work on defining what safety is? So we have a, a baseline for human drivers. Um, I I don't have an answer for that. I don't know. <laughs> So that's okay because I have never, no one's ever given me a good answer. <laughs> Sorry. So add me to the list. <laughs> I, I don't know the answer. And I think, you know, I think autonomous vehicles will become more safe. Um, and they will need to be significantly safer than human drivers before they start to be deployed fully. Um, but, um, you know, the, the the autonomous vehicle will have different challenges compared to human drivers. There are things that humans can do extremely well uh, that the software will not do that well. And the other things, routine things and whatnot, that the software will very quickly do much better than human drivers. Um, but I don't have a good answer to your, your question. That's okay. We rarely have good answers to Alex's question. <laughs> <laughs> so he's asking the, the questions that you can't answer? Is that the, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, the Because I'm they're always, so obscure. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I'm a devil's advocate. I'm a skeptic, but I'm an optimist too. So Basically, he's That's an good. enigma. We don't quite understand it. A, a skeptic optimist. That's <laughs> yeah, a, I, I find most claims are nonsense, but I think that this, the technology will be worked out. What's the shortest path? Eventually, yes. Well, should we end on that note, or do we want to ask any predictions? How? I'm, yeah, like to, to wrap this up. I mean, how long do you think it will be before um, a, a regulator um, is able to, or maybe an industry consortium uh, is able to sort of sort of define something, um, a, a driver's test, right, a, a driver's license test for for autonomous vehicles like how far how far out is is that 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 could be sort of widely accepted my guess my prediction is this will actually ex, uh, accelerate now and it will be not a final thing but some real clear direction of how this is done with some initial drafts i would predict maybe two years it's completely my own guess the, I, I think in two years it will be pretty clear there's so much uh, pain in the industry and the need to know and I think also there are now approaches to do it so there there is a way and I think we are part of there is a path to a solution 
And uh, so I think within two years, I would say one year, but regulators move slow, so two years. Um, and I think it's going to be happening in parallel to the actual deployment of the technology of autonomous vehicle, which I believe will happen much more incrementally. People keep asking when will we get to, I think it will, you know, we'll see ADAS and level two and a half and three, a lot of them, and then sort of level four in some very limited operational design domains, and those dim- domains will incrementally increase, and the number of functions that those cars are able to perform will increase. So it, I don't think it's going to be a, now we, we're here, now suddenly it's it's yeah. there. It's going to be very, very incremental, not just in terms of the number of autonomous vehicles, but in terms of the function that they provide, it's it's going to happen incrementally. Yeah, no, it, it makes sense that the um, and defining safety, you know, would be done in the context of a domain just, at, you know, because the deployments is going to be done uh, in terms of domain for, for most of the players. Absolutely. And I, yes, and, and part of the system that we provide, <laughs> any verification plan, you have to uh, uh, adapt it um, and it can be done automatically to the definition of the operational design domain. So if, but of course, you then need to test that the car knows how to get out of the operational design domain. If it's uh, if it can perform, if it's not performing in rain, it needs to know how to identify rain is coming and hand off, hand over the control enough time ahead of to the human driver before the rain starts. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, otherwise, um, we're going to have a lot of idling uh, vehicles just hanging out every <laughs> single time rain hits. <laughs> yeah. No. I. I. I think this is like one of the, if not the most interesting part of of autonomous vehicles right now is is this entire question. So, um, I'm really curious to see uh, uh, what happens and 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 the progress you guys are able to to make in uh, in in helping companies and and regulators define safety. So, if people want to follow that. Um, your progress. Um, first of all, tell tell people about about your blog because I think if you're interested in this subject, you will want to go read this blog. And then maybe if there's uh, social media or other places where where people can can follow you. So absolutely, Joav Hollander, our founder, is writing a blog on this topic. He's been writing writing it for several years. It's the Fortelix blog. Just Google it. We have a LinkedIn account and we have a Facebook. Just look for Fortelix. We also have a Nice website. Um, so just look for Fortelix in all of these social media. The blog is worth um, checking out. And I think we could probably, you know, link it in our, uh, when this yeah. episode goes out. Absolutely. And it's F-O-R-E-T-E-L-L-I-X. Well, thanks so much for joining us on the show. And um, we'll have to do a check back in two years, I guess, and see if <laughs> any countries have actually, you know, stepped up and, and and created a framework so that we can actually determine what or define what how safe is safe enough. So you wrote down my prediction. Yes. Yep. Okay. Oh, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll follow up. We'll see you in two years. okay hopefully sooner thank you very much thanks for your patience and thank you thanks so much